Welcome to the Crushing Cashflow Podcast, where we share phenomenal advice and dozens of decades of wisdom from investors and entrepreneurs of all types and all stages of their journeys. We'll cover many forms of cash flowing assets, such as real estate, stock investing, entrepreneurship, and general finance guidance. Listen in and learn from those who are crushing it out there, as well as those who have been crushed by business or their investments. Now, here's your host, Andrew Shutsky. Welcome back to another great episode of Crushing Cashflow. With me today is my good friend, Mr. Ruben Greff. Ruben, how you doing, man? I'm fantastic, man. Thanks for inviting me. Super pumped up to be here on the Crushing Cashflow podcast with my boy, Andrew. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It's going to be a good one. So Ruben's a capital raiser extraordinaire via his company, Legacy Acquisitions. He's a fellow podcast host and just an awesome human being all around. So welcome again to the show, man. Thanks, man. I really appreciate that. So I kept your intro brief on purpose. I'll never do it justice. So why don't you give us your story? How did you fall into this mysterious world of real estate investing? My dad was a single family investor. He passed when I was young, but it was like a seed was planted with me. Yep. I remember driving to his properties and collecting rent and stuff. At some point, I guess after I graduated college, I figured, hey, let's try and get into real estate. So I thought mortgages would be a good avenue. Didn't mm-hmm. help me too much except for learning about finance. Then I started a meetup, came across a multifamily, a small fourplex buying multifamily investor here in Phoenix, right around the crash of 2008 and nine. And he was taking down a lot of fourplexes. So I said, hey, let me follow you around and shoot some videos of you, create some marketing. Maybe I can attract some attention. And then over a period of about nine or 10 months, we had a lot of investors actually reach out to us and without ever asking for money on these videos that we were posting, we yeah. raised around, I should say I raised around $625,000. Wow. That was my intro into capital raising. And from the mortgage lending side, I knew about this thing called truth and lending, which says, hey, you can't say we are offering a 4% rate without ever looking at someone's credit. So from a compliance perspective, I knew that I couldn't really say, hey, we can offer you 20% returns yeah. on social media. But at the end of the day, we just, by sharing what we were doing without telling anybody what we were offering, we got a lot of interest. And that was my start. I ended up breaking up with this particular partner and then left real estate altogether for about five or six years. Wow. And then when I came back, all I knew was fourplexes. So I put together a plan to buy a bunch of fourplexes. When somebody said, hey, well, why don't you just buy, what's your total goal? I'm like 128 units. They're like, why don't you just buy them right now? I'm like, well, I don't know how to do that. So they told me huh. about this thing called syndication. And then I found out that there's this team sport that happens out in the world where a bunch of guys get together, guys and, and ladies, and they put their money together and their skills together and they purchase large multifamily properties. So found a local syndicator that was doing heavy lift in Arizona. We partnered on a few deals and they wanted help raising capital. So I had read Joe Fairless's book and it said, hey, go start an interview-based thought leadership platform. <laughs> and if I was going to raise capital, might as well do it on a topic that these guys hired me to do, which is raising capital. So I started the Capital Raiser Show. And as I met all these sponsors and all these capital raisers and all these lawyers, I ended up realizing that in order to put all these guys together, I needed to start my own fund. So I went off to go launch my own fund when Andy McMullen, my partner at Legacy Acquisitions, reached out and said, hey, why don't you just partner with me? I've already done a bunch of these funds. Just like syndicators typically invest their first, you know, in their first deal with another syndicator, 
how about instead of you starting your own fund, you partner with me and my funds. And that way, when people ask you, how many of these funds have you done? And the answer is zero. You don't have an uphill battle. Yeah. You can say, hey, my partners have done a bunch of these. So that kind of was my intro into fund management. And he needed help with exposure and marketing and automations. And I needed help with the track record and getting Great. access to sponsors. So that's how we partnered up. And that's how I find myself here. Man. You've obviously done this more than once. <laughs> You've got that story down pat. And I love it. I love how no two backgrounds are ever the same. It's almost like a thumbprint, you know, the retinal scan, everybody's story. It just has, some always have common themes, but yours is really unique. You advance, like many of us, you've kind of advanced and grew out of the fourplexes and duplexes really quickly. That was really cool. Well, you know, why the fun route? Why not do a bunch of co-GPs other than the obvious barriers on the legal side? So I've come across some sponsors that were in, you know, they were the boss for many, yeah. many years. Right. And then they're like, I don't know if I want to deal with this. This yeah. is a lot of work. I like to hang out with investors. That's my superpower. You know, mm. that's what they're thinking, or maybe that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. And on the fun side, that's pretty much all you're doing. You're not acquiring property. You're not putting earnest money deposit. You're not managing anything. You're not doing construction management, property management, or dealing with changing of the net operating income, you're leaving the sponsor who's really good at that to do his or her job. And then all you do is manage the money source, which typically is run through a fund, which is its own security. But all you're doing is you're underwriting someone else's deal, and then you're pretty much hands off other than managing your own fund, which entails investor relations and marketing and mm. some other things. But it's completely hands-off version of investing where you can still participate in a GP type sense where you're acquiring investors and then basically you're stroking somebody else a limited partner check without having to do any duties, which a co-GP in order to stay legally compliant requires you to have some operations because you can't just raise capital and walk away and be legally compliant. So that's one of the reasons... However, we're finding that it's a lot less lucrative for us to raise capital for other sponsors mm -hmm. in these fund structures or even in co-GP structures when you compare it to what we can make as we're the own, you know, when we're the operator. So, yeah. Yeah. Right. So we're spending a lot of time doubling down on the build to rent space, which is what we're doing in Louisiana and Alabama, where we're the capital partners and we've teamed up with the construction guy and an acquisitions, a land acquisitions guy, those two were a team and they needed a capital infusion. So now we're all GPs in this kind of build to rent space where we're putting together subdivisions, renting them out and selling them off to institutions. And who knew, right? Like all I knew was multifamily value add. And now yep. all of a sudden I'm building houses and considering them as multifamily because they're on one place with one property manager and rented and handled identically the way a multifamily would be, except that they're detached, right? They're no, it's interesting. I just got off recording an episode literally an hour ago with a strictly professional passive investor. And we got on the topic of multifamily and he's been doing this. I think he was in the sixties, done dozens of deals. And he's like, look, man, from my perspective, multifamily's played out. I need another angle. I've seen the deals. I've seen the projections. I know the assumptions. He knows underwriting better than most sponsors, right? So he knows to call BS when he sees BS. 
He's like, I don't buy it. I need another asset class. I'm looking for something. You've chosen the build a rent path. You know, why that over a self-storage or mobile home parks or development like land development? I feel like I stumbled into it. So I would not say that I was like, hey, let me look at assisted living and senior yeah. housing and student mm-hmm. housing and all these different sub niches, heavy lift and et cetera. Yeah. You know, my partner Andy is in the Kingdom REI, which is a Christian-based mastermind group. And he was in there with my partner in the Built to Rent, which is Derek Alexandrenko. Because those two guys connected in this mastermind, Mm -hmm. we opened our eyes to Build to Rent. And the other thing is a trend across the country is people are leaving value add because there's not quite as much profit in it as there was, primarily because there's so many people operating in the space. And when something goes on market, you're competing against 40 or 50 other buyers depending on where you're investing. So we had to find something where we could make money because if you don't adapt, pivot, and evolve in real estate, eventually you're going to get stuck in the past, right? Which is exactly one of the reasons why I left fourplex is because I wasn't able to adapt and evolve and buy stuff at the increased prices because I was like, oh, I'm used to buying these things at 20000 a unit. Why would I pay thirty? And then before you knew it, they were like $150,000. I know, I know. <laughs> but that's the main thing is like, we had to find something that we could make a lot of money for ourselves to create generational wealth for our families. And in the process, yeah. also do the same thing for our investors. And we found built rent to be the one avenue where we felt comfortable being able to do that and beat out our value add competitors. So how does that whole cycle work for someone's coming in new to investing? You know, what does it look like? Value adds straightforward. You buy a building, you fix it up, you raise rents, you sell it or refi. What does a cycle look like for build to rent for those who haven't seen it or haven't aren't educated yet? It depends on who your investor is, because a lot of built to rent guys, for example, in Phoenix, they're getting money from institutions, guys with huge checks. And they have timelines where they can purchase land and then wait two or three years to get entitlements and then shove the shovel in the dirt. Whereas us, we're kind of mom and pop, right? So we're doing like 100 unit subdivisions and we have limited partner investors, $50,000 a pop. So what we need to do is get their money back extremely quickly. So we're entitling these things before we start raising capital. And right when we're ready to put the shovel in the ground and start constructing, that's when we raise the money. Yeah. And then we're building these 10 at a time. So if we're building 100 units, for example, in a year, we have these complete if we meet our timelines. We're underwriting them for 18 months and saying, hey, we can sell these probably in 30 months. Or even in some cases saying, we can double your money in five years on these 506C deals. But the reality is we can move way quicker. So the cycle looks like this. We put the property under contract to purchase with an option to buy. We entitle it. We complete the purchase once it's entitled. And in our case, on our upcoming project, the city has actually approved of our plans. And then we start raising capital. We build these things out really quickly. We rent them out, manage them like a multifamily property, and then sell the entire subdivision off to an institutional buyer or a REIT or somebody that wants to purchase it and keep it forever, typically. With the exit plan, that can change if there's some kind of economic cycle shift or climate change. We can sell these off in groups of 10. We can Mm -hmm. sell them off individually. In fact, that could potentially make more money. 
but we want to be able to scale quickly in this business and do more projects. And the way to do it with least amount of headache on a transaction per transaction, dealing with individual retail sales, it's going to take a lot longer to sell these. So let's just sell it off to one buyer and repeat the process and do it over and over again. Uh, that sounds really cool. I mean, you got a lot of flexibility you may not have. You can't sell typically individual units in a multifamily. What drawbacks do you see compared to your traditional value-add property? So the biggest one is the investor capital. People are not familiar with buying houses in bulk and selling them off to one single institution, right? So yeah. I think everybody understands living in an apartment because most everybody yeah. has if they are well taken care of, they stay. It's a pretty easy business model. You go and you buy an apartment complex and you sell it. Well, people don't understand that. They are curious about all kinds of things that go on in the built to rent. Like, what is the supply chain? How long does it take to build these things? Why should I do it? What's the market? Why did you select the market? Why this? I mean, they have a lot of questions when it comes to value add too, but they just don't understand the whole concept of buying houses and treating them like multifamily and then selling them off to institutional buyers. So a lot of the hardest part about it is just the educating and nurturing of an investor database. And then some people like Vinny Chopper will be like, well, it doesn't matter what I invest in. If they know, like, and trust me, they're going to sign a check and not even ask questions. Well, we're not there yet. We're not yeah. Vinny Chopra, right? So we're, yeah. we're still smaller investors and we have to take the time to educate and nurture people. And that's been the biggest thing. However, Fortunately for us, we have some friends like Vinny and Neil Bawa who are promoting this built to rent thing and showing the data of why it's exploding. And that's helping us because they're seeing us out on social media and going to us to ask questions about built to rent mm -hmm. and saying, hey, you know, I've invested in a bunch of 50 or however many number of syndications, and I'm kind of getting tired of this. I want to kind of diversify into some new things. I see that you're doing built to rent. Let's jump on the phone and talk. And so I have to talk to these very sophisticated limited partners and explain to them why built to rent is sexy, but they already know. They're just like, hey man, I already know. Let's, let's do something because I see this as an exploding trend. So that part is kind of fun, but you know, a brand new investor or a newer investor may still have a lot of questions before they reach out to us. And back to the education piece, what have you found to be the most effective way to bring in a new asset class like build to rent to your investor base or even your expanding investor base? Is it blog posts? Is it videos? Is it what gets the most traction in your experience? Yeah. So whether you're a multifamily syndicator or a BTR or some other sub niche of asset of multifamily or even commercial real estate in general, it's the same thing. It's omnipresence and high communication. And even beyond that, once you're in a deal, how many investors stay in the deal? Do they get white glove investor service and then bring their friends on the next deal? So it's all of those things where you're podcasting, you have a blog post or a social media presence, you're in a lot of networking events, you're getting out there, people are hearing your name, they're talking about you when you're not in the same room. It's all of this. It's not like one thing like, hey, let's master LinkedIn and then forget about everything else, or let's just be really good at communication. It's a number of variety of things. So what I would call omnipresence, but a lot of it really boils down to communication. I love it. So simply said, but so rarely well executed. So I think that's really important, really powerful. When you guys select a market, how do you do so? 
I'm sure it's not throwing a dart at the wall on a map and saying, oh, Louisiana looks great. How do you pick the market? So I wouldn't say that it worked like that for us, right? So our general contracting partner lives in Lafayette. So he'd already built 100 houses and he didn't want to do a build to rent project across the country, right? So he knew that land was very inexpensive in Lafayette, that the cities were going to help you move along the entitlement phase because they're in growth mode. And they can tax more and grow their cities more if they help the developers move quickly. Whereas, you know, a big city like Phoenix, Dallas, or Atlanta, you may have a lot more red tape when it comes to development. It may take two or three years in order for you to get the land ready for developing. But so we like the fact that land is very inexpensive, that the cities help you grow, and the fact that our partners live within a three hour radius of all the stuff that we're doing. So, right. In value add multifamily, if you're a sponsor, a lot of times you can't invest in your own backyard, particularly if you live in California. But in our case, you know, the capital partners, I live in Phoenix, my partner lives in San Diego, but our team, the construction team, they live right in the same market where we build. So we're about three hours away from Foley, Alabama, which is going to be our next deal. And we have a bunch more in Louisiana. So that's where we're going to stay. And if we get to the point where we've gone full cycle on four or five and we need to move into bigger markets, we'll probably have to create some new construction teams and partner with some other people if we decide to go that route. But right now, because there's such a shortage of affordable housing all over the place, we can just focus on that one market and we won't run out of business because people need places to live all over the country. And we're building in a place that really wants affordable housing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Say, so, Ruben, it's been fantastic up to it's this point. Awesome. I got a couple of last quick ones for you. One, for someone who's listening, I love asking this, sitting on the sidelines, waiting to jump in the game, either actively or passively, what would you tell an individual? How do you help them crush their cash flow? So they want to move into syndication, passive investing. Yes. I'd go hang out with other people that have done it before. I think the key to anything successful in life is Surrounding yourself with people that are doing the things that you want to do. And if you want to passively invest, then go hang out with passive investors or meet as many sponsors. And that way you can become friends with the ones and eventually invest with them. And they can mentor you or coach you through. Or other than that, you know, go get a coach that can talk to you about this, that can kind of guide you, which typically sponsors are that kind of role. They have that role for you. But that's it. No matter what you want to do in life, Hang out with people that are already successful at what you want to do and get some coaching. Love it, man. I love it. So maybe somebody's listening, wants to learn more about you, learn more about the Capital Razor Show or Legacy Acquisitions. How do they get in touch with you? They want to hang out with Ruben. How do we do so? Yeah. Well, I would schedule a call with me or reach out on LinkedIn and let's just start a chat. If you want to learn about raising money from limited partners or family offices or how to create your own funds, my show is always about raising capital. They can find me at capitalraisershow.com. I'll be writing a book with Richard Wilson pretty soon. Nice. And if they're interested in finding out about our deals, they could find us at legacyacquisitions.com. I'm on the majority of social media platforms, so they can find me pretty much everywhere. Love it. Thanks so much, man. It's always fun talking to you. This has been a blast. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks for listening in with us for another episode of the Crushing Cashflow Podcast. We have a small favor to ask of all of our listeners. Please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Each subscription and rating will help us massively toward our goal of helping reach as many listeners as possible each week. Thank you very much once again for listening. We're thrilled to have you with us as part of this journey. 
and we can't wait to share more of these stories with you. Stay tuned for much more to come.